All right, where are my Bible scholars at? Okay, I'll take it to mean that's all of you. All right, trivia question. Trivia question for you. Where was King Solomon's temple located? Where was King Solomon's temple located? Bible scholars believe it was located right about here. This temple. Little dad joke for you this morning. Little dad joke. Dads, feel free to use that all weekend. I don't need the credit. You just, you just run with that. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Hope you have a great day and tell as many dad jokes as you want today. It's your day. One announcement before we dive into the message. Uh, Northbrook has been using a, a database called Realm, and we are switching database. Uh, we're moving to a much more user-friendly database that we are very excited about. We think eventually it's going to make your life easier. Um, and it comes with an app. I'm so excited. We can finally say we have an app for that. So Church Center app will be the new app. And uh, on Church Center, you're going to be able to do everything that you need to at Northbrook. You can register for a life group. You can check your kids in downstairs to our children's ministry. You can register for special events. Um, You can set up online giving. Uh, You name it. Um, And so we're going to be sending out information over the coming weeks on how to get the app, how to use the app. Uh, Don't worry, we will, if you are technologically challenged, uh, we'll work with you, so don't panic. But we think eventually, once we figure this app out, it's going to make life a lot easier for all of us. So I just want to give you a heads up that that is in the works, and in the coming weeks, you'll get more info about the Church Center app. Okay, so I want you to think back on a favorite vacation. Think back on a favorite vacation. Maybe it was a cruise, maybe it was a road trip. Maybe it was camping up north. When's the last time that you looked at pictures from that vacation? Maybe a fun activity this afternoon, sit down as a family, look at some of the pictures. When I think back on our family's vacations, a lot of great vacations come to mind. One of my favorites, though, uh, was in 2018. 2018, I was able to take my family back to where I grew up. I grew up in Denver, Colorado. And uh, my wife, my kids had never been to Colorado, so 2018, we did a road trip out to Denver. I got to show them all of the, my favorite places, took them by the house that I grew up in, and uh, went to Red Rocks, hiked the Rocky Mountains, and ate at my favorite restaurant as a kid. It was called Casa Bonita. It was this Mexican restaurant, uh, but it wasn't just a Mexican restaurant. It was a Mexican restaurant with a pool, and every 15 minutes, divers would come out and jump off a high dive into the pool. And let me just tell you, you have not lived until you have eaten tacos while watching divers jump into a pool off a high dive. It was magical. And then, of course, we had to go to the place, the Denver Broncos Stadium, and uh, we got a picture of our family in heaven. I'm sorry, I mean the Denver Broncos <laughs> Stadium. It was magical. Every once in a while, I like to go back and look at pictures from that vacation. You ever thought about why we take pictures? You know, I officiate my share of weddings here at Northbrook. Uh, and in fact, it's one of the favorite things that I get to do here at Northbrook, be a part of uh, a couple's big day. And uh, I've yet to do a wedding where there hasn't been a photographer. Uh, In fact, if I was working with a couple during premarital counseling and they were to tell me, you know what, we don't want any pictures taken at our ceremony, I would need to do more premarital counseling. (laughs) Why do we take pictures? 
Well, because on some level, we as human beings know, no matter how big the moment, no matter how special the day, as time goes on, we forget. As time goes on, we, we lose track of little details, we, we forget things. In fact, have you ever had this happen? Have you ever had something happen and then years later, uh, you were sitting down with someone that was at the event or the thing, and you had different versions of how it actually went? Uh, my parents uh, have one of those things. Uh, when I was uh, when I was born uh, in the delivery room, my dad swears that he gave my mom ice chips while I was being delivered, and my mom swears he did not. I guess we'll never know. As time goes on, we as human beings, no matter how how good your memory is or how good your mem- you think your memory is, as time goes on, we all can forget. And yet. Our memories sum up who we are. Our memories of our life, the things that we've done, the ways that we've seen God work in the world, are a huge part of how we live in the present. We're going to come back to that idea, so just store that away. Don't forget that. We'll come back to that. We're in a series called True Story this summer. This summer we're exploring stories in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament happened a very long time ago. And though the Old Testament can be confusing, trying to understand through our modern day lens the events that happened in the Old Testament, uh, the beautiful, the beautiful reality of the Old Testament is when we understand the Old Testament stories correctly, they give us a better picture of who God is and how He invites us to live in the world. And so this summer we've been going through some of those stories. Now today we're going to be in Exodus 12. Um, now, if you were here last week, you know that we were in Exodus 18. So we're doing some backtracking this week, just this week. Um, I asked the creative team if I could speak on Exodus 12, and they graciously agreed. So just this week, we're actually going back in the Old Testament. Normally, we'll be moving forward. Hopefully, that's not too confusing. I think you can handle it. Uh, last week, Exodus 18, the Israelites were in the desert. Moses was trying to lead them by himself. And uh, Pastor Mike talked about how uh, Moses' father-in-law came to him and said, Hey, this isn't good. You're trying to lead the people by yourself. Well, this week we're going back to Exodus 12, where the Israelites are still in Egypt. They're still uh, slaves in Egypt. Now, uh, just a refresher on what has happened up to this point. For generations, the Israelites have lived as slaves in Egypt uh, under harsh conditions, being worked unfairly. Uh, Things have gotten so bad that at one point, Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, has issued a decree because he's afraid the Israelites are going to grow too big and revolt. He's issued a decree that every Israelite baby boy is to be killed after it's born. So I think you could say things are pretty bad. And there's really no hope. There's no, there's no glimmer of, uh, of, of, of goodness or a chance of getting out of slavery on the horizon. Uh, even if they could escape, there's really nowhere there for them to go. They're surrounded by desert. And even if they could escape into the desert, the Egyptians have horses and chariots, and they could certainly chase them down and, re- and capture them or kill them. And so the situation seems hopeless, but God has a plan. And one theme that is throughout the Old Testament that applies to our lives today is when life seems the darkest, when there seems to be no hope, when it seems like God has forgotten us, abandoned us, or just doesn't care, God is very much at work in our lives and situations. God is not up in heaven ignoring us or going, oh my gosh, I didn't plan for this, what do I do? Though God's timing isn't always our timing, God is very much at work. 
And so things seem hopeless for the Israelites, but God sends Moses, takes a little bit of convincing, but eventually Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, I got this really good idea. Why don't you let all of your free labor go? And Pharaoh says, no. And so God sends plague after plague on Egypt. Interestingly, each plague is correlating to a different Egyptian god. So essentially, Yahweh, the Israelite god, is taking down one Egyptian god after another through each plague until eventually Pharaoh says, all right, you can go. And not only do the Israelites leave Egypt, but if you read the story, on their way out, the Egyptians give them gifts of gold and silver. How amazing is God? Like Now, if you had asked the Israelites six months before that, hey, what are the chances of you leaving Egypt? They would say the chances are zero. And if you were to say to them, well, what are the chances that you leave Egypt and, they give, and the Egyptians give you gifts of gold and silver on your way out? They would have said, you're crazy. But throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that God isn't interested in what's possible by human standards. And so Exodus 12 happens right before the Israelites leave Egypt. And God is um, issuing them some commands. He's telling them how he wants to operate, how he wants them to operate, how he wants them to live as free people. And it's interesting because this is kind of his first decree, right? They are, they're not even out of Egypt. They're just about to be out of Egypt. And he is, he has issued this command or decree. And I want you to notice his focus in this moment. God could be focusing on anything. He could be saying anything. But in Exodus 12, notice what he cares about. Exodus 12, starting in verse 14. This is a day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. For seven days, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, remove every trace of yeast from your homes. Anyone who eats bread made with yeast during the seven days of the festival will be cut off from the community of Israel. On the first day of the festival, and again on the seventh day, all the people must observe an official day for holy assembly. No work of any kind may be done on these days except in the preparation of food. Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. Skipping down to verse 24. Remember, these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the house of the Israelites in Egypt, and though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshipped. So there's a lot going on there, but did you notice God's first decree? God says to them, hey, you're about to leave Egypt, and here's my first law. This is going to be a law for all time. This is going to be a decree for all time. You must do this. Here it is. Every year, you have to have a week-long party. That is essentially what God says. God says every year, you guys have to throw a week-long party. You have to take off work. You have to have ceremonies and rituals. That's my decree. Why is God so interested in them having a yearly party? Why is that the first decree for this people coming out of slavery? Why is that the first thing that God says before they even leave Egypt? Because God knows that we as humans 
tend to forget. And God knew that the desert was coming. God knew they were going to leave Egypt. They were going to make their way to the desert and look around. There was going to be no water, no food. And they were going to panic and worry and fear. And they were going to forget that God just parted the Red Sea for them. You ever gotten to a moment where it felt like God was far away and it, it was almost like it was impossible for you to think back on God's faithfulness in the past? You were just so worried in the present moment. God knew the desert was coming, so he said to them, you've got to have a yearly party. God also knew the promised land was coming. They were going to spend 40 years out in the desert and then they were going to enter the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And listen, you know you haven't made when you show up somewhere and they got milk and honey. And the Israelites enter the promised land and time goes on. And you know what else is funny? When things are really bad, we can tend to forget God. But also, when things are really good, we can tend to forget God too. And more than that, Notice the language in Exodus 12. It's not just about the people that are there in that moment. It's about future generations. Because here's the problem. When you enter the land of milk and honey, when things are good, and and future generations grow up in an environment where things are good, they look around and they go, why do we need God? We did this ourselves. And so God says to them, This isn't just about you. This is about future generations understanding how they got to the land of milk and honey. This is about future generations understanding my goodness and my love and not mistaking the land of milk and honey for chance and karma. See, why why does God tell them they can't forget? Is God just this type of God that's like, when I do something nice for you, you better not forget. Like, is is that who we're dealing with here? No. No, God is, is so concerned with them not forgetting because God knows that we as humans, when we begin to forget God's goodness in the past, that is when anxiety, fear, worry, and a life far from God's will and God's goodness begins to creep in. And God's heart is not that we live in a state of worry and anxiety and fear. God's heart is that we would live in joy and peace even in the desert moments, even in the difficult moments, that we would be able to look back and trust him because of his goodness in the past. And we would be able to live at peace, free from fear. So God says to the Israelites, you're about to leave Egypt And I need you to have a yearly party because I don't want you to forget what I'm about to do. So what does this have to do with us? It's a great story thousands of years ago. Good for the Israelites. How does this change tomorrow? Well, I have three observations or three thoughts from this story I'd like to share with you. And my my prayer, my hope is that God will challenge um, all of us in one of these three areas. So I'm going to give you all three, and then we're going to walk through them one at a time. So here here they are. Notice, celebrate, commemorate, and pass it on. Notice, celebrate, commemorate, and pass it on. I think as followers of Jesus, it's easy for us to notice God in certain moments and begin to think that God is only present in our lives 
some of the time. We show up at uh, church, maybe it's Easter or Good Friday, and it's a particularly moving service, and we go, oh, God was there. We show up and we hear, and we hear me speak, and you're like, oh, that, God was there. And then when Mike speaks, we're like, sometimes God's there. <laughs> He's on vacation in a different country. I can say whatever I want today. But you know what I mean, right? Like we, we begin to think that like, well, God's sometimes in my life. Like I had a good week. God was with me. I had a bad week. I don't know where God was. But the reality is there's not a moment that goes by that God is not with us. The New Testament writers say things like we are the temple of the spirit of God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. There's this idea that God is with us all the time. It's just sometimes we notice. One of my favorite quotes outside of scripture is by a, a, woman, named, a woman named Elizabeth Browning. Elizabeth Browning uh, wrote, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush of fire with God. But only he who sees it takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. I love that. Earth's crammed with heaven, every common bush of fire with God. She's taking this metaphor from the Old Testament where Moses sees this burning bush and God tells him, hey, this is holy ground, take off your shoes. But we're in the New Testament where, where we know that everything is holy ground because everything involves God. God is everywhere. There's no common moments. There's just holy moments that we assume are common. God is with us and at work, and sometimes we notice, and other times we pluck, black, we pluck blackberries. In other words, we scroll our phones, we stare at our TVs, we miss God at work in our lives. So what would it look like to notice God at work in your life? Maybe this is a new concept. What would it look like this week to look for God at work in your everyday moments, in your interactions with other people. Sometimes I'm talking with a, a teenager who, who is leaning towards not believing in God. And I try to reframe the conversation. I, I say, well, do you believe in love? Because the Bible says God is love. So if you believe in God, you actually, or if you believe in love, you actually believe in God. When someone loves you with genuine love, you are experiencing God through that person. God's presence has come down to earth through that person and entered your life. I think it's easy to go through life, and if we're not careful, we, we chalk up things to chance, coincidence, karma, when in reality, everything we do, God is there and at work, in the good and the bad. I love the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Many of us are familiar with the story of Joseph. Joseph uh, grows up in a home where he's kind of the favorite. His brothers are jealous, and so they sell him into slavery. They betray him, which is a pretty traumatic event for Joseph. And Joseph goes off to a foreign country. He's doing well, but then uh, through no fault of his own, he's accused of something. He's thrown in prison, and he spends time in prison. Talk about two horrible bad breaks. And eventually he gets out of prison— and uh, he finds favor with the king. Eventually, he's put in charge of the country. 
and there's a famine in the land and Joseph is in charge of, of keeping food and dealing out food and his brothers are experiencing this famine and so they come to this land looking for food and they wind up in Joseph's presence. They don't realize it's Joseph and Joseph has this beautiful opportunity to get back at them, to make them pay for selling him into slavery, to hurt them in the way that they hurt him and yet he doesn't take the opportunity In Genesis 45, he actually says to them, he basically says to them, hey, don't feel bad. And then he says in Genesis 45, God sent me here ahead of you to save lives. In other words, Joseph was able to get through all of that trauma, all of that hardship, being betrayed by his family, thrown in prison, abandoned by everyone. He was able to look at all that and go, you know what? I've noticed something. God was with me and at work in all of that. God was with me and at work in all of that. So what would it look like this week to notice God at work in your everyday life? Maybe for some of us, there's an opportunity just to take some time each morning or each evening to look back at the the previous 24 hours And try to see where God was in that space of time. Where was God at work? Or where did you miss God at work because you were so busy or preoccupied with other things? Maybe for others of us, this concept just seems too vague, too difficult to understand. And maybe a next step would be to meet one-on-one with a pastor or a spiritual mentor, spiritual director, and just start talking through what would it look like to actually live like God was with you all the time? present and available to you, that his Holy Spirit actually is speaking and working in your life. So that's the first thing. Notice, secondly, celebrate or commemorate. As we begin to notice God at work in our life, again, we're forgetful people. It's important we celebrate and commemorate those moments. Many of us are familiar with another character from the Old Testament, David. Uh, now, sometimes I think we, uh, we put David on a pedestal and we kind of make a hero out of him, and he had some flaws, But one thing that David did really well throughout his life was he noticed God at work and he commemorated or celebrated it. And a perfect example of this is in the story that many of us are familiar with, David and Goliath. David's a young man and he shows up on the battlefield. There's this giant Goliath who's issuing a challenge to to fight someone in the Israelite army one-on-one. No one wants to fight Goliath. Goliath is this giant. To fight him means almost certain death. So none of the Israelites, including King Saul, want to fight him. And so David, this young boy, strolls in and he looks at Goliath. He looks at the Israelite army and he's like, all right, well, if no one else wants to fight him, like, I guess I could do it. And you might think, well, that's just like immaturity, right? That's just a young kid that doesn't understand the stakes. But it's interesting when King Saul calls David into his tent and begins to question him on why he thinks he can beat Goliath. Notice what David says. First Samuel seventeen thirty seven. David says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David is confident because he has noticed God at work in his life in the past. David says to King Saul, Yeah, I faced a lion and God was with me. I was facing a, a wild bear and God was with me. And I've noticed that God's been with me in those difficult situations, so I am confident that God will be with me as I face Goliath. Now, that's one way to view the world, but let's be honest. Most of us would take a different approach. Most of us would go, you know what? 
I've already dodged death twice. I don't want to press my luck. Right? Like, there's, there's different ways to view the world. Most of us would probably go, well, you know, we, I already escaped a lion and a bear. I'm not going to push it. But David didn't view the world that way. David was like, you know what? God's been with me in the past. And so I can have confidence that he's with me now. So David defeats Goliath. And then in verse 54, notice what the writer says. It says that David put Goliath's armor in his tent. Now, tent here means dwelling. Most Bible scholars believe that David took Goliath's heavy armor home. Probably put it on the wall somewhere. Why did David do that? It was a spoil of war, sure. But more than that, I think it was a reminder that God was with David. In fact, I don't know this. There's nothing in the Bible that says this, but I have to wonder if there weren't three things on the walls of David's home. The head of a lion, head of a bear, and the huge heavy armor of a giant. And in the coming months and years, life didn't always go well for David. If you're familiar with David's story, eventually King Saul turns on him and David is hiding out in the wilderness, running for his life. And yet David keeps this positive attitude. Even his moments of despair where he writes Psalms, there's this, there's this underlying trust in God. And I have to believe that goes back to God's faithfulness in the early years. I believe David looked back on Goliath's armor and was reminded that the same God that helped him kill that giant was with him in the moment. So how can you commemorate and celebrate the ways that God has been active in your life? The beginning of this series, Pastor Mike uh, issued a challenge to all of us to journal a little bit this summer. Uh, we had journals for sale, and we sold out of the journals, which tells us that, you, that many of you have journals. Now, whether or not you're writing in them is another story, but you have them. So I want to encourage you, uh, encourage all of us to take some time and journal this summer. Uh, if you're not sure what to journal, we actually have some bookmarks with some prompts for you out in the lobby. If you haven't grabbed one, those are available today. And uh, if you're like, I don't even know what I would say in a journal, like this has some great questions that can uh, help you think of what to write. <clears throat> Uh, but I've been journaling for years, not every day, but regularly I've been journaling. And one thing I started doing many years ago was every time that I noticed God at work in my life, uh, in small ways or in big ways, uh, big answered prayers or, or just little interactions where I saw God at work, uh, I would journal about it and then I would highlight it in yellow. And now years later, when I get into difficult seasons, uh, when I begin to feel anxious, when I begin to feel overwhelmed, when I feel like God is far away and distant and not answering my prayers, I'll open up some of my journals and I'll just look for yellow. And I'll read through the ways that God has been with me and at work in my life in the past. And I'll, and I'll be honest, sometimes I'll have even forgotten things happened. And then as I go back in my journals, I'll, I'll read it and I'll be, I'll be reminded of God's faithfulness in the past. And it's amazing how being reminded of God's faithfulness and goodness and presence in the past gives me strength and courage and peace in the moment. So maybe for some of us, there's an opportunity to begin journaling today because it'll help us tomorrow. I also have objects around my office and in my house that remind me of God's goodness and faithfulness and his presence. Uh, this last year, I got to go to Israel 
It was an amazing experience. Uh, I'm so excited for those of you that will be traveling with Pastor Mike later this year to Israel. You're going to have uh, just an awesome time. Uh, but one day in Israel, uh, one morning, I was able to go for a run by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I love to run, and, and running is my time with God in the mornings. And uh, it was very special to run by the Sea of Galilee um, and have time with God. And this one morning that I went for a run, you know, I don't normally feel like I hear from God on my runs. Like, I'll have little conversations, or I'll pray, or I'll talk to God. But it's, 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 it's very rare that I'll have, like, a moment where I know I heard from God. But I had one of those moments running by the Sea of Galilee where I heard very specifically from God, and it was a very emotional, uh, personal time with God. I'm not a crier, but I will admit I was crying on my run. I'm, you know, the, uh, the people driving by probably thought, what in the world is that guy crying on his run for? But that's okay. And uh, so while I was in Israel, I bought a, a picture of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, this sits in my office. And it's a reminder, because most days are not as wonderful and as emotional as running by the Sea of Galilee. And so on the rough days, on the anxious days, on the difficult days, on the days when I'm not hearing from God and it feels distant, I look at this picture, and I'm reminded that the same God who is with me as I was running by the Sea of Galilee is very much with me as I sit in my office in Richfield, Wisconsin. So what would it look like for you to find some things, some objects, some pictures to celebrate and commemorate God at work in your life? It's one of the reasons, for those of you that have been baptized at Northbrook, that we give out baptism t-shirts. is so that you will have an object to remember that big moment of when you were baptized. So what would it look like to create some memories, to, to, to create them in a way that you can remember them, with pictures, with objects? How can you celebrate and commemorate what God has done in the past so that you can trust him in the present? And then lastly, pass it on. God was very clear in Exodus 12, the work that he was about to do in the Israelites' lives were not just for them, it was for future generations. And I'm about to say something, and I don't want to get any connection cards. I don't want Mike to get any connection cards. So hear me clearly, and hopefully I'll say this well enough that you aren't mad at me. <clears throat> when I think about my childhood, I was told Bible stories. But Bible stories were not the most impactful thing when it came to growing in my faith. I was told theology, as was appropriate for the age. But theology and facts about God were not the most important things when it came to growing in my faith. I was also told stories from the lives of my parents, my pastors, my friends' parents, of how God was presently working in their lives. And that was what was most impactful when it came to growing in my faith. Bible stories are important. Teaching the Bible, super important. Theology, facts about God, important. But friends, the next generation will not be inspired to follow God by facts and theology. The next generation will be inspired to follow God as they hear about God's goodness and faithfulness in the lives of the parents, the mentors, the pastors, the teachers, the older friends that they have in their lives. 
And we give future generations a gift when we are vulnerable enough to share with them how God has impacted our lives, how we've seen God move and work in our lives. We turn the Bible, which is a beautiful thing, into a real life coming alive in our own lives when we share how God has been at work. So what would it look like, not just to notice God at work in your life and commemorate and celebrate it, but also be intentional to Give the next generation and future generations a gift by passing on what God has done in your life, passing on those stories to future generations. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love and your goodness. Father, I pray a blessing on the fathers today, and I pray a a blessing on those of us that are maybe in the room and Father's Day is not a, a, an exciting, fun day, but maybe it's a day of mixed emotions. Father, would your very real presence be with us today as we go about our day? May we notice you and, we know, and may we know that you're with us and at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.